invite you to join or open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 20. That's page 327, if you are looking in your pew Bibles. And we'll be continuing with King Hezekiah, if you remember, three weeks ago. I know that's a long time in, in preaching years, but three, three weeks ago, we, we talked about Hezekiah celebrating the Passover in Second Chronicles. And, and now we're going to go to a passage which is probably more well-known. It's a passage I admit I feel a little bit of affinity with because Hezekiah was confronted with his impending death. He happened to be 39 years at the time. I was 39 when I first really experienced my lymphoma. And I couldn't help but notice a little bit of correlation there. A bit of context. Chapter 20 comes right after 18 and 19, which talk about how God delivers Israel, or in this case, Jerusalem, from Assyria. I am going to tell you that the author has, I found this out this week, the author has reversed the chronology. So what we're reading at the end actually happens before Assyria comes. That's okay, they're allowed to do that. They knew what they were doing, everyone knew. They weren't making any falsifications. There's, there's an application reason, which we'll talk about later on. But it is important to know that the Assyrian invasion is coming after Hezekiah is sick and recovers. There's two parts to this chapter. I think they fall very naturally. And what I would like to do, like you to do as we're about to read this, is listen to, listen for Hezekiah's demonstration of faith, and yet also the flaws in that faith as he shows his own self-interest and self-trust. Let's give careful attention to God's word. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out from the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will hear me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the things that he promised Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. At the time, that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them 
And he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, said the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. This is God's word. Well, what do you do when your heroes fail you? Growing up, uh, one of my childhood heroes was a baseball pitcher named Oral Hershiser. Say Oral who? Maybe if you were in the 80s or 90s, you might know him. Um, he, he won a, a World Series in 1988 in dramatic fashion. He wrote a book about his experience. There was much to admire about him. He was competent on the mound. He wasn't a flamethrower like Nolan Ryan back in my time. But, but he would get you out of a fly ball or a shortstop. He was a, he was a tactician. He, he, he was skilled in his craft. And he, his great work ethic and his, his study and training was what was his keys to success. He was also a Christian. He wasn't in your face about it, but he was very clear about his faith. In his book, he described how all his teammates knew that he followed Jesus because he would read the Bible in the book of back of the bus and his actions would follow it up. You could tell by reading his book that he built his life around following Christ. He talked about his relationship to his wife and how they fought the stress that came from being a professional player in the MLB and how they saw their marriage and as being honoring to God and how he wanted to be a good father. He was quiet but articulate. You might remember the name of Payne Stewart. He was a professional golfer who died in an airplane crash. He was a Christian and Oral was there at his funeral. He was his friend and he talked about Payne's testimony, how he used to be angry and would throw his golf club when he had a bad stroke. And, and now once he's come to Christ, he's been different. For me, Oral was someone to look up to. I, I collected his baseball cards and back in the late 80s and 90s when they started printing them like money. Um, you know, you, I have eight. I just looked this morning. I have 80 different baseball cards, unique baseball cards about Oral Hershiser. Uh, I followed his team. He was my hero. And, and so recently, I, I recommend his book. I, I dug it out and reread it to Elizabeth. And, and after I read it to her, I thought, you know, I just wonder where Earl is. I just, just you know, be curious to see what, what's happened to him 20 years later. And I, I checked up on him. And I almost wish I did. You see, uh, one of the things I found as I looked at his family was that he and his wife had divorced. And... 
I can't tell you how, I was surprised by how dejected I was. There was the little boy heard part of my heart that died a little bit that day. Um, because in his book, he talked about how much he cared for his wife and how much of a priority it was and how much they fought for that and how much they saw that as part of their witness in honoring God. And then five years later, after retiring from the, the league, they were divorced. And I just thought, oh, you worked so hard. I, I felt let down. You, I looked up to you. Divorce is, is always sad. It always involves the sin of at least one person, sometimes both in our easy divorce society today. There's, there's plenty of stories of God's grace and new beginning. It's, it's, it's not an unforgivable sin, but, but it's still sad. And I, I had my hero on this pedestal, and, and, and here he was. Regular, flawed human person. I believe he's still a Christian. I believe he still loves Jesus, but I can't help but ask, what if? And what if you had remained faithful in that area? I, I, I don't even know whose fault it was. I don't know. I don't know what this is. But well, how might God have used you? And I also realized my heroes, human and flawed and just as needed a Savior as I am. And the fact is that your heroes will fail you. And, and that should give you a healthy realism, keep you from making your heroes into your idols or your savior, but it should also serve as a warning to you, lest you make the same mistakes. And that's what we see in this passage here today. Hezekiah, in this, this, this chapter, gives us a story of Hezekiah with a biblical analysis of humanity and all of its flawed glory. He is a truly good king. He who also stumbled and fell short of his potential. God revealed to him his upcoming death. He cries out for mercy. God gives him more time. It's beautiful. And how would you like that story to end? If you could write the story, how would you, and you, how, how would you finish it? And you would say, God healed him, and Hezekiah, overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy, clung to him even more. He, each of those 15 years, he could not but help but tell everyone around the greatness of God, and he served him faithfully and fully and died at a good old age. Instead, as soon as God gets him off of life support, Hezekiah becomes more concerned about himself than God and his kingdom. He trusts in his own alliance. We'll see he makes a, a, a strength. He makes an alliance with Babylon. He's confronted what's going to happen. And he says, well, why not? There'll be peace and security in my days. You, and you, you hear that. It's like, oh, how heartbreaking. To receive this special gift, this blessing, and to be less devoted to God and not more instead of it. As I said, this passage has struck home for me with just a, a, a few, I think, superficial parallels, but they're there. And I thought, there's many ways I'd like to be like Hezekiah, but here's an example that I want to avoid. I do not want my life to go this way. I, I don't presume about my diagnosis, but it looks like I will recover my health and I might actually be better than I was beforehand because I might have been part of my sickness. I want to grow closer to the Lord with a renewed urgency, not be swept away by the blessing he gives to me. So today we're going to examine Hezekiah's life and be challenged to seize every moment to serve the Lord. Let's dig into the life of this good but flawed saint. And first things I want to point out that Hezekiah was a genuine hero. He is someone to, to emulate in many ways. There is a lot of space devoted to him in the Bible and his story. There are 11 chapters. Now, some of it's repetition, but he has 11 chapters talking about him and the events of his life. That's, that's a lot. He's important. 
And you see throughout godly, decisive, competent action. He's in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. He loves the Lord. He really is an exceptional king. If you go back to 2 Kings 18, you can hear, just, just listen to this first summary of his reign. In the year, uh, third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the son of Ze- daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for in those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. It's a pretty good resume. It's pretty impressive. And and his heart was in it. We saw three weeks ago how much he wanted the Passover to be celebrated and all the temple reforms that aren't even mentioned here. The people would come so they could experience God in the Passover. For these first 15 years, in contrast to his father Ahaz, did you hear the steps of Ahaz, by the way, that the shadow going down? There's a little contrast there between his faithless father and the shadow that the sign was. The shadow went up the steps of Ahaz. In contrast to his father, he is the model king. He, he's he's the, 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 the king that you would want your child to be like. He's a hero. He's worth following. And yet Hezekiah is human. He's flawed with both limitations and sins. He's confronted with his limitations. He's about to die. He asks for more life. He's sad about it. He's moved by tears. I don't think his plea here to the Lord, his prayer is whining. I, I don't know. When I was younger and I read this, I, I didn't have much sympathy for Hezekiah. Uh, you know, I said, God says you're going to die. You just, Hezekiah starts crying. I took that as poor me. I said, look, just man up. You're going to meet your maker. It's going to be all good. Uh, I don't think that's right. I think, I think Hezekiah has a, a legitimate sadness. And you see that by the way God's responding to his prayer. What's his sadness? Well, death is sad, but his life is incomplete. He's in the prime of his life. He's a good king. His son is too young to rule. His people need him. I admit I felt a similar way when I received my diagnosis and was contemplating possible death. I didn't want to die, but I thought, my first thought went to my children, who are so young, and to my wife, Elizabeth, who was going to raise them. I came home, and I took Sammy on his first bike ride. I was not feeling the greatest, but we didn't know what was wrong. And Sammy said, Daddy, I like being with you. I like keeping you company. Daddy, thank you for taking me on this ride. After all, everybody needs a daddy. And you know, I thought very tearfully sometimes as I was in those first few weeks. Everyone does need a daddy. Now, the Lord would care for my children if I were to die, but that's the normal way. That's, that's the way that's good. That's, it's good to pray for those things. Hezekiah is asking for a fullness of life. And, and what is more, God promises life, especially in the Old Testament, to those who serve them. 
you look at some of the Psalms and Proverbs, they're not absolute promises, but, but they say, who, who wants to have long life? will do this. Fear God. Honor the Lord. And, and he will reward you. That's, that's the result of it. And Hezekiah is saying, Lord, this is what I have done. And so there's, there's a way in that his prayer is legitimate. And sometimes you can learn about prayer here. God will present you with a reality to see how you will respond. How will you cry out to him in prayer? Early in scripture, God told Moses that he was going to destroy Israel for their sinfulness. And Moses interceded. He stood in the gap. God listened, changed his mind. He relented. Sometimes he does it. Sometimes he doesn't. God told David that as a result of his sin with Bathsheba, the, the child from that union would die. And David doesn't say, oh, okay, oh, well. No, he still prays. In fact, he fasts and he throws himself on the temple for, for a week so that, that his servants are afraid to tell him and he figures it out. And he said, well, why shouldn't I pray? Perhaps God will change his mind. It's, it's legitimate to pray that God will care for our physical needs. Heal the sick, like in my case. But it does show us of our limitations. All of our heroes are mortal. No matter how good they are, they will slow down and eventually they will die. Probably if you follow any sports news, you will find out that, unsurprisingly, Tom Brady is coming back for yet another season. At at 44, however old he is, guess what? Even someday Tom Brady will have to retire. For real, age will catch up with him. That's the way it is. We're all limited. Well, the limitations are sad, but the real... Tragedy comes from the way that Hezekiah responds to God's grace for him. Once he's healed, he trusts himself and not God. Hezekiah showed faith and clung to God when he had no other hope. And this is this is a lot better than most kings in Israel and Judah did. This is this is showing his faith. When God said you're going to die, he took him at his word, unlike the first king and second kings, Isaiah, who he fell and he didn't even bother talking to God. He went to Baal. And ignored his prophets. Or like Ahaz, who in mock piety refused to sign, God said, I'm going to save Israel from these two little kings that you're concerned about. Let me give you a sign. And Ahaz says, oh, I'm not going to trouble God for a sign. That, that, that's code for, well, I already have other plans that don't involve you, God, so butt out of my business. Hezekiah was so bold as to ask for a sign. And then when he got one, he said, well, actually, do the harder one. Let's just, you know, let's just make sure. Those are all, those are all signs of faith. But then... When God meets his need, he lengthens his life. He no longer has the crisis in sight. He stops his reliance, trickles off. And instead, he starts to draw upon his own plans. So let's say two ways that Hezekiah fails here. First of all, he trusts his own resources. Remember the Babylonians coming to congratulate Hezekiah? That wasn't just a hospital call, right? They, they had a mutual enemy, Assyria, at that time. And the, the dating's a little, it could have happened a couple of times, so we don't know exactly when it happened. But at this point, they're, they're not the juggernaut that will eventually roll over the whole area. They're a smaller country that's trying, area that's region trying to throw off Assyrian rule. And so, hey, the enemy of your enemy is my friend, right? They come to Hezekiah. Hey, how are you doing? Great, great you're uh, healed. And they, you want to join us? And what does he do? Hezekiah gives them a tour of all his wealth and military might. You, you would think, well, so what's, what's, the, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's what it says in the face. Well, Hezekiah had an option. He had the opportunity to take them to the temple and to show them the true God of Israel, who's overall, who healed him and point the spotlight in God. Instead, he puts his best foot forward 
And he displays all the human resources that he has, his treasure and his troops. Let's make a deal. But God forbade his people to enter foreign alliances because they were to trust in him. And so you see what Hezekiah did when times were, were impossible. He trusts in the Lord. He shows faith. But once he had the chance, he put in his faith in things that are visible around him. That's that's very human and that's very flawed. It's disappointing to see him drop the ball after showing such faith. But then we see in Isaiah's rebuke what becomes truly tragic. So Isaiah comes. And he rebukes Hezekiah right after the the Babylonians leave. He says, Hezekiah, who was here? What were they doing? To his credit, he's honest. And Isaiah brings the verdict. All that you showed them will someday be plundered. Some of your sons will be carried off into Babylon. And by implication, God's people as well. So here's the decisive moment. Just like the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah brings sad news. But when it involved Hezekiah's life, that's when he wept and pled with God to change his mind. But this time he says, the word of the Lord that you said is good. Sounds pious. There's, there's even some people that say that was, that was a godly statement. I, I don't think so. It, it rings hollow because it doesn't match the way Hezekiah just asked for more life. Right? When, when he says on the life line, he didn't say, well, the word of the Lord is good. He said, God, save me. It certainly doesn't sound like the passionate king who interceded for his people at the Passover when they were impure. But if there's any doubt, he finishes with, well, why not? Because, after all, there will be peace and prosperity in my days. It's not my problem. I'll be dead by then. And the king who found his own early death so distressing now brushes off this terrible news with the chilling apathy. And that's it. The end. Now, in Hezekiah's defense, it might not be quite as bad as it seems. Like I said, I learned this week that the author deliberately reversed the chronology. I don't know if you noticed, but when God answered Hezekiah's prayer for healing, he also said, I will deliver you and Jerusalem from Assyria. Right? That's giving you a clue that that's coming in the future. And also what, what we know of the timeline, if God gave him a full 15 years, it would have to be before that invasion. That's how we know it's, it's been switched. And... They did that for a reason. And I I think um, it matters for two reasons. First of all, uh, we don't know how much, but it is clear that Hezekiah did humble himself. When when Assyria comes back to his doorstep and he had these hordes of an army he can't beat, he does humble himself again. And there seems to be a bit of a happy ending. I I don't know to how much extent. Chronicles says there's happy ending and, and, and rewards, but it's a bit vague. But at the same time, the writers of both Second Kings and Isaiah, very similar, both choose to put this at the end so that his one failure stands out. They wrote about Hezekiah's failure last, and it makes it more visible. What it's saying is, here's a good king, but he's a flawed one. He's no savior. The fact that at the end of the day, as good as Hezekiah was, at best, he delayed judgment for God's people. He couldn't He couldn't reverse the exile that was coming. In fact, his pride and flaws actually confirmed that judgment. So what do you do with this? This this is not a feel-good story. A king who's doing so well and the author leaves you with, with his biggest failure. I hope you can feel 
some of the tragedy and disappointment, even though he's not our king and it's not impacting us directly. This is a waste and a tragedy. So let's go into a little bit of a deeper dive. Why is this? Why is this such a tragedy? Well, what are his surface sins? He's, he's self-interested in, in a very self-centered way. He, he shows indifference instead of sacrifice towards the end. He, he goes from faith to self-reliance. There's certainly an amount of pride that goes with that. But, but the, the deeper sin... Um, as pride is going there, is, is he, has, he has a change in devotion, a change in his love from God. It's, it's very clear that as you look at Hezekiah and all the 11 chapters that you have, in his younger life, Hezekiah seeks God because he loves God. All of his obedience, it says in Chronicles, he sought, which means obeyed the Lord because he loved him. He was, he was devoted, he was consumed with God, both in his heart and his actions. It was clear. Not perfect, but he was, he was seeking God with all his heart. But now at this critical time, he seems to change. When Hezekiah seeks God, he does it because he loves Hezekiah. He's concerned about his own life. His power on the world stage. And when God's judgments don't touch that idol, his kingdom or his life, he doesn't seem to care much. He doesn't care that God's promises, his glory, which God references here, will seem to be put at peril. He doesn't seem to care that the temple that he's worked so hard to restore so that the people could come back into fellowship with God will be sacked and destroyed. Doesn't he care anymore? We don't know to the extent, but to some bit, he has lost his passion for serving God. There's a change in devotion. He's gone from loving God to himself in those times of trouble and outside pressure. But isn't that the meaning that we hear today? I mean, isn't, that, isn't that the message you hear today? Really, the self-centered interest? I mean, fulfill yourself, find yourself, follow your passions. Say even today, what's wrong with Hezekiah? I mean, he's, he's just acting in his own best interest. He's cashing in on the benefits of his hard rewards work. He's, he's not hurting anyone else by all appearances. He's still a pretty good king. But here's the tragedy. He's lost 15 years to serve God with all his heart and soul and strength. At worst, they're wasted. At best, they're watered down. Hezekiah, God gave Hezekiah this extra gift so that he could love and grow and pursue and bless his people. Instead, he pulls back, decides I'm going to kick back, enjoy life, try to make things work without relying on God. And the whole story of Scripture tells us that's going the wrong way. God made us to know him and reflect his glory and be part of his kingdom plan. And contrary to what you hear today, you know, say we hear that, well, you come from nothing, you will die and you will go to nothing. And in the meantime, you are most happy and most free when you can choose and define your life however you would like it to be. But scripture says, no, you'll actually be most happy and satisfied when you pursue your God who created and saved you give you an illustration, a uh, very pale one, but from our kids. All three of them are getting old, old enough to help, and, and Sam especially. But even Tommy and Rachel can take a piece of paper to the trash or put a fork in the sink. And, and we prayerfully encourage our children, give them lots of love when they do this, when they, when they help out the family. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes they don't like to do it. But most of the time they love it. And even when they don't like it, they recognize that they should, I think. 
Um, they're, they're young, they don't, but they don't say to Elizabeth and me, either with words or body language, parents, you are a slave and a tyrant, and I throw off your yoke of oppression. It's yours. I'm here to define my own life and existence. Oh. They know that Elizabeth and I love them and provide for them. And when they work for us, they have the joy of being part of a family that has a purpose working together. And they are the happiest at that point. That's a pale illustration of what God has done. He's designed us to love and reflect himself, to grow and to be, you know, have our roots sunk into a church where we're together in the community of believers, living for each other and not ourselves. Right? <laughs> Hezekiah's change of heart is a tragic misdirection. It's, it's a waste of 15 years of true happiness and a colossal act of ingratitude towards the God who blessed him. There's many themes that we could apply here that we've already been working on. That's why I'm going to be preaching three sermons. I just want to look at one tonight. I want to ask you, how do you want to spend your own 15 years? We, none of us know the day when we'll go home with the Lord or when our Savior will return, but each of you has an allotted time left. We'll just call out your 15 years. How do you want to spend those 15 years? I can speak from my own life and experience going through cancer. I definitely have a sharpened focus. The possibility of my own death, in the words of Samuel Johnson, concentrates the mind wonderfully to think about what is most important. And I don't want to mirror Hezekiah. If if God were to heal me and I'd simply live out the next 20, 30, 40 years enjoying my my family and children and church and the good things of life without growing in love for him, then I've wasted this gift. And it's even possible like Hezekiah, as I'm thinking that I could I could drift away from the Lord. I could I could keep my head down. I could take it easy. I could enjoy the good things a short life has to offer. Be nice to people, harming no one. What a waste that would be. And as I stand on what I believe is the cusp of remission, being pronounced that at 40 years old, I pray that the Lord will give me grace for the next 40 years to serve him. Not perfectly, have my own flaws, but a life full of meaningful service that is not wasted. And when I stand before my Lord, when it's my time to die, if he would look over those 40 years and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's my question for you. How do you want to spend your 15 years left on this earth? The only way to avoid a tragic waste is to follow Jesus. Take up your cross and to follow him. Well, how do we do that? How can we avoid Hezekiah's failure? I think there's, there's three warning signs that can point us to the cross. We've already talked about these, but I'd like to reiterate them because they're important. I want to drive them home. It's important because if you recognize these things in you, then you realize I am in danger of following Hezekiah. I am taking a foot down the path that he walked. And so first, be concerned if you sense hollow spirituality, external worship, where you you show up for church, find yourself going through the motions. Isn't it scary how you can sing a hymn and think about something completely different? I don't know if I'm the only one who can do that. But um, you, you go through the motions, and you may even be committed. But yet, you find that you've lost your passion and your joy for God. 
Now, passion can be a nebulous thing. You know, we don't all go around shouting and, and showing our excitement that way, waving hands. I'm, I'm so glad that we have our brother Tom who gives us those amens. Can I get an amen, brother Tom? Amen. Yeah, you, you give us some spice. But you know, some of us are a little more reserved. And being passionate doesn't mean being someone you're not. But you do know what it's like for you to be excited. And you know what it's like for you to be to lose your excitement with God. When he's second best or worse. When you lose concern for his kingdom, as we prayed, your kingdom come. You, you know, you find it easier and more interesting to check out and root for your sports team than, than how things are going in the church or caring for your neighbors in the kingdom of God. Or you find that your hobbies aren't just a way to enjoy God's world in your proper place. No, they've become your world. And God gets the crumbs. Right? It, that, that shows you that, that you've lost your passion and joy. And if, if you've lost your love, then you're in danger of a tragic waste. That's the first way. It's the hollowed out spirituality. You look good on the outside. You've lost your passion. Second, you trust in your own resources. It's an easy one today to rely on your own resources. Whether it's, it's your retirement you've got. Or, or like Hezekiah, you can pin your hopes on politics. Our world is changing and we can put so much trust in our, our leaders that if we just get this man or woman elected, everything's going to change. Times are shaky. It's wise to plan. But when you trust in your plans more than God, then you're shifting the spotlight from God to yourself. And you're setting yourself up for heartache, failure, wasted time and effort, trusting in your resources. And then finally, an unnatural concern for yourself. As we've seen from Hezekiah's prayer, it is, it is good and right to ask God to care for you, to bless you, even to enjoy the good things as a steward that he's given to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to the point that you live without sacrifice, you hold on to your resources tightly and say, mine. Or maybe you stop putting the hard work in the faith following Jesus. You know, older saints... I, You've been at it for a while. You see where the world is going. The church is declining in the West. It's just empirically obvious. It doesn't mean that the spirit is not working, but it's, it's, a, it's a, dark time, a darkening time. That can be discouraging. You can look around you and say, you know, I've put in my time. I'm going to give up, go home, stop the fighting, live in comfort. After all, there'll be peace and security in my time. And when you start to think that way, not just older saints, for any of us, that's a danger sign. Unnaturally concerned for our own self-comfort. So what do you do, not if you see those signs, but when? You say, yes. Yes, that, that looks a lot like me right now. Well, we have to be wise and recognize that your heroes can't save you. They're flawed and so are you. You can't save you. You need to turn to your Savior, Jesus. The sermon is mostly warning and example, but that's what the text says. But we always must grasp what the rest of the service has told us. That you have a Savior who will not fail you. And when you fail and your flaws are on display, like Hezekiah, they could be big and lit up on the sky. You can be honest like Scripture is. You don't have to hide or excuse or cover. But you do what brought you salvation in the first place. Turn to your Savior and run to him in faith. Be very careful about your tendency for self-reliance. I, I, 
I realize that when you preach something as lofty and as big as how will you live for your 15 years? It can be really easy for you to get pumped up and make resolutions that you cannot keep on your own. Not even surviving cancer will do that for you. Today, you say, I know I'm drifting. I I, I know I'm not where I should be. My love has grown cold. Here's what I'll do. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to go home. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to be more active in the church. You missed the point of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Those, Those things are good, and maybe you need to grow in them, but that is not what's going to turn your heart. If you're counting on them to change your heart, then you are close to the path that Hezekiah walked to self-reliance. Trying harder on your own is just digging yourself deeper into a hole. Instead, when you fail, and when you see it, cling by faith to Jesus, your rock. Start by asking for forgiveness. Repent of your sin. If appropriate, ask for accountability and prayer from other Christians. And then go to Jesus and receive mercy for failures. Strength to do battle, love for over time to change your desires, and then get up and go out and continue the fight. What do you do when your heroes fail you? You run to the only one who won't. You build your life on the rock. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you include all kinds of of instruction and warning, as well as promises and grace in your scripture. We thank you for the life of Hezekiah, a good and godly king, someone that someday we can fellowship with in the new heavens and new earth. We thank you even more for our Savior and High Priest, King Jesus. This week, would you point to each one of us where we can better build on that rock, let go of our own kingdoms, and pray your kingdom come. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.